Well, let's look at our scripture that can be found in our bulletin. We're actually starting a new sermon series on the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, and it's called The Freedom of Grace. We're going to be focusing on grace and the freedom that grace brings us. And so we're going to start out with the, with the greeting that Paul gives in Galatians. And that's Galatians 1, 1 through 5. And this is Paul speaking, his greeting to the Galatian churches. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, we have guests in town, our good friends Joe and Carol Harcel, who we have known for eons, who are dear friends, about as good and near and dear as friends can be. And of course, I'm confronted with the choice, the question. I need to entertain, I need to wine, and I need to dine, my good friends. So what do I get? Do I either get them Dr. Pepper, 23 flavors, rich caramel color, invented by a graduate of the University of Virginia, or do I get Dr. Perky? <laughs> Dr. Perky or Dr. Pepper? That is the question that we have to ask. No, they're not 23 flavors, 75 cents, $1.99. Of course, I go with Dr. Pepper, not Dr. Perky. I, uh, Perky. I, I bring out the good stuff, if you will, for my friends, because it's obvious that Dr. Perky is an imposter, is it not? It's doctor, but it ain't pepper. We've got maroon, we've got smooth flavor, but when you put them next to each other, and if I were to taste, there might be 22, yay, 21 flavors, but certainly not 23 flavors, because Dr. Perky is an imposter. And there are many imposters if one walks down the soda aisle, or one walks down the nutritional aisle, and in most cases, it doesn't matter. But as regards the gospel, whether it is an imposter or not, it does matter. And the reason I'm sharing that is because the book of Galatians deals with one central fact, that the gospel has been hijacked. It has been in, replaced in Galatia with an imposter that looks kind of like the gospel, that smells kind of like the gospel, but in the end is no gospel at all because there is only one true gospel, the gospel that brings deliverance. And anything else will bring slavery. And so the purpose of the book of Galatians is for Paul to defend the truth of the gospel in the midst of a corrupt gospel. Now, this book is not only for the Galatians, it's also for us. For we deal with the same situations. There are constantly imposters that are being positioned before us as the gospel, that look like the gospel somewhat, that even smell like the gospel, and yet when you look at them, they bring no deliverance. They rather bring imprisonment. And so it's critical for us to be able to tell the difference between the two. Because in regards, as regards the gospel, it does matter. 
Because only the true gospel will bring deliverance. Anything less will bring slavery. So in this greeting, we're going to look at three specific points as Paul starts to unpack this truth. Number one, Paul appeals to his authority. His authority as an apostle to present and tell them the truth of the gospel. Paul continues on in point two to show that there is a change in our position. That the gospel has done something that has objectively moved us from one place to another. And then finally in point number three, what Jesus has done in the gospel has resulted in a change not only in our position, our objective position, but a change in our subjective relationship with God. So let's begin with point number one, an appeal that Paul gives to his authority. This greeting that Paul gives us in 1, 1 through 5 is what could be described as the peace before the storm. But right away when you start hearing it, you notice that something is amiss because it's not like Paul's typical greetings. There's no thanksgiving like there is in Philippians where Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There's no doxology like there, are in Ephesians, like there is in Ephesians where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and continues on and on. There's no praise for the Galatians like in Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Now Paul gives a short, prefunctory greeting and he gets right into it. Because Paul is so focused on the urgency of communicating the seriousness of what's going on in their churches that he wants to get right to it. And so he gets rid of the flowery language. You see, Paul has ownership of this church. He preached the gospel there in his first missionary journey. And the Galatians believed and these churches were founded and these are his spiritual children. But as Paul has left and as he's gone to Antioch, this new group of people have come in. They're called Judaizers. And what they've done is they have introduced a new gospel, a gospel that is mixed and meshed with Judaism. That yes, Jesus Christ has died on a cross. He's died for their sins. He's brought freedom. But in order to appropriate that freedom, there are these specific rituals and customs that must be followed. The customs and principles that were handed down in Judaism. And so you must become like a Jew in order for the gospel to apply to you. You must act. You must work. This truth is demonstrated and illustrated and is followed throughout the centuries that wherever the true gospel is preached, heresy will follow. Hear that wherever the true gospel is preached. Thank you so much. I'm still dealing with Cherokee's revenge. I have some sort of respiratory thing. Thus my inhaler. So if I reach for the inhaler, you know what's going on. Wherever the true gospel is preached, heresy will follow. Well, what does that mean for us? It means that we must guard the gospel. Because the gospel is preached here. The true, genuine gospel. So as such, it would follow that there are imposters that are not far along 
that are coming to replace, to subtly work their way in, to steal the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins, and we can see what he's going to communicate laced throughout this introduction. Paul, an apostle, not through men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ the, and uh, Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul gives his name as first. Notice it's not Saul. It's not Ju his Jewish name, but his Greek name, the new name that he was given as he was given the commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The word Paul, by the way, Paulos in Greek means little one. We're not exactly sure why that name was given to Paul. Perhaps he was short in stature. Uh, perhaps it was a physical issue. But the, uh, the, uh, his detractors have often communicated that he's not impressive in speech. He's not a great communicator. But this little one stands up and he communicates who he is, that I am Paul, an apostle, which means a sent one. Apostello to send. He is one who has been sent to the Galatians. He is one who has been sent to the church, to us, to preach the gospel. The apostles were the specific ones that Jesus sent out to preach the gospel. Ephesians 2.20 goes so far as to communicate that, the, that Christianity is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Paul is one of these sent ones. And he has not been sent from men or through men. You see, as soon as Paul left, these Judaizers have come in and they have said, this Paul, he, he wasn't even one of the twelve. He wasn't even one of the original ones who walked with Jesus for those three years. Are you really going to listen to him? And what Paul is saying is on that road to Damascus, it was Jesus Christ who appeared to me. He arrested me. He converted me and he commissioned me. He has sent me out. And so Paul says, I am an apostle sent not by men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised them from the dead. This is actually one of the only times that he puts Jesus Christ first. Normally he says, God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. Why has he put Jesus Christ first? Well, because in order to be an apostle, as it says in the book of Acts, you have to have had been in close proximity to Christ. You have to have personally seen Jesus raised from the dead. Paul is saying, I have been in active relationship with the risen Christ who has taught me the gospel and commissioned me and sent me. And so he communicates who he is. And then he also says, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul is in Antioch right now. He's gone back to Antioch, which is the city with a big church. In fact, that church has surpassed the church at Jerusalem as the central church. It is the sending church for all of the missionaries going out to Asia Minor. And Paul is saying that I'm not a lone ranger here. I am with the brothers in Christ at Antioch, and I am communicating to you the will of God. Now, what does this have to do with us? I think what it has to do with us is we have a tendency to do exactly what the Galatians do. We hear the scriptures, and then we also 
receive a variety of different information and books from spiritual leaders and counselors. And to be sure there is good information out there. But our tendency is to put our Bible on the bookshelf with all the other wisdom teachers of the world, even Christian ones. We tend to elevate other authors to a level that they should never receive compared to the scriptures. Or we hear the scriptures preached and we sit in judgment over them as opposed to the scriptures sitting in judgment over us. We're kind of like those guys in the Jesus seminar. I don't know if you've heard about them. They get together every year. They're a bunch of uh, you know, scholars, mainline scholars, and they basically come along and they have their highlighters. And through a basis of votes, they decide if Jesus really said this or not. And they, they either bring it on level with Scripture or they denigrate it below Scripture. See, we have a tendency to do that if we're honest with ourselves. And what Paul is saying is there is only one gospel. And it's an apostolic gospel. It's coming to you because Jesus has sent us to you. This letter that I am giving you is not just from me. It is from God to you. And it tells you the truth of what Jesus has done and who you are in Him. And so we must place this Bible on its proper place, if we, in its proper place if we are going to hear the Scriptures, if we are going to hear the Gospel in its truth. We must let it sit in judgment over us as opposed to we sit in judgment over it. Because that brings me to my second point that Paul goes on to communicate that a fundamental change in our position has occurred. Notice in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself from our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul is saying that there is a fundamental change in our position. That Jesus gave himself for our sins, yours and mine. For what purpose? To deliver us from this present evil age. There's a new objective reality of which age we belong to. Most of the focus of our Christian life, indeed most of the focus of our life, is on our subjective state. How am I feeling today? How am I feeling before Christ today? And there certainly is value to that. We are in a dynamic, changing relationship with Jesus Christ in terms of, like any relationship. But the truth of the matter is, there is an objective reality between my relationship and Jesus Christ that stands irrespective of how I am feeling with Jesus Christ today. I recognize that I am a human, that my physical body, that I am prone to wander, to be up and down. But my status with Jesus never changes. It is the objective reality which informs my destiny of where I am going. And Paul wants to focus on what has happened to you in your life because of Jesus Christ. And that is for them and for us that we 
if you are a Christian, has been delivered from this evil, this present evil age. What Paul is saying is that there are two specific kingdoms. A kingdom of God and a kingdom of Satan. A kingdom of the world. And he calls it this present evil age, the kingdom of Satan. Now that's not very politically correct to paint that picture of our world, is it? And we might sort of shrug against that. I mean, our world is not so bad. There are things that are going on that are good. We can look around and we can see that. But we are looking from our perspective. And Paul is looking from God's perspective. And God's perspective, God's judgment on the world is this. As it says in Romans 3.10, None is righteous. Not one. 6.4 billion people on the earth. Now we're speaking of this present evil age. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You may say, wait a second. Surely people do good. Remember, man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. It continues on and on. The venom of asps is upon their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God created a world in which we were designed to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I know that I love myself a whole lot. I was designed to love you exactly at the same level that I love myself. That's the kind of world that God made. But when God looks at this, He sees the reality and the truth that this is a present evil age. This entire world was designed for the glory of God. And yet when we turn on the television, when we open up our newspaper, when we read our magazine, does it bear testament to the greatness and glory of God? When we attend our schools and our universities, is God lifted up? By and large, He is not. Paul will go on in Galatians 3.22 to say, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. The whole world is a prisoner of sin. You may say, I've never been a prisoner before. I've never been in jail. I've never been locked up. It's not what the Bible says. Prisoner means that somebody owns you. He tells you where you go. He tells you what you do. You are not free. Think about this. That God's judgment on the world was that it was so bad, is so bad, that to deliver you out of it, it took the blood of the very Son of God. It took the most heinous and unrighteous act, the condemning of the only truly innocent one of all of us, 
Jesus the Word made flesh in order to deliver you out of the world. And God very clearly and unequivocally communicates that He is going to judge the world. See, we mistake God's patience with sinners with the idea that God is tolerant of sin. And He is not. There is a place called hell. And the best that we know to describe it is it is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelations 14.10 says that the one who does not worship God will drink the wine of God's fury and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. And Paul is taking all of that as he's describing this present evil age and he is saying to the Christian that through Jesus Christ God has delivered you out of this out of this impending doom that he has not left us there he has given us a way out I was recently reading a little bit about that cataclysmic story of the sinking of the Titanic April 14th back then in which there were 2,700 people but only 1,200 lifeboats. It was supposed to be impossible to sink. But on 1140, it collided, opening up five of its 16 watertight compartments. Could only survive four being ripped open. And slowly and exorably, that great boat sunk into the sea. The temperature of the water was 28 degrees should freeze but only for the current that kept it moving I've never put my foot in 20 degree water but my understanding is that the water is so cold that it actually feels like you're burning it's like you're burning alive as you slowly die of hypothermia in 30 to 60 minutes but the question I have for you is this what if you could have known on April 10, 1912, in Southampton, England, before you got on that boat, that it was going to sink four days later? What if somebody had come to you and said, I know without a doubt that this boat is going to sink, and if you get on it, you are going to die? And you took his or her advice. And sure enough, four days, five days later, you saw the newspaper and saw that that great ocean liner slipped into the sea. Would there not be tremendous gratefulness and thankfulness and relief to know that you had been delivered from that evil situation? See, what Paul is saying to the Christian is you need to wake up and understand the enormity of what he has done that your fate was the wrath of God eternal judgment that planet earth is the Titanic and it is going to sink but that Jesus Christ delivered us from this present evil age by giving himself for our sins so that you will not experience wrath is your response to the gospel as you hear it in all of its stark term terms gratefulness or has your gospel become dulled and diluted 
for the world as it says on the Titanic that day before is that all is okay. Let us whine and let us dine and let us look out on the beauty of what we see. If you're a non-Christian and you have wandered in here today, I need to tell you that I am the guy on the dock in Southampton. That God is going to judge the world. But the good news is He has provided a way of deliverance. Jesus Christ, who's delivered us from this present evil age. This results in my final point, that there has been a change in a relationship. Paul has just explained what God has done in Jesus Christ. And now he goes on to explain why he's done it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is an apostle. He's a sent one. He's speaking on behalf of God to you and me. God and His Son is communicating to us grace and peace. See, Christians get this wrong. Christians think that not everyone is, you can only be in a relationship with God if you become a Christian. That's not true. Everyone is in a relationship with God. It's just if you're a non-Christian, your relationship is enemy and enmity and wrath. But God communicates to us and Paul is communicating to the Galatians that it is grace to you from God. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. It's something that God has done because God wanted to do it of His own purposes. See, Paul is sending a clear message to the Galatians that it is Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The true gospel is that the gift of the cross is unmerited by anyone. And no matter what rituals and formulas you seek to incorporate into your religious practice will make one whit of difference. Paul is saying it's only by Jesus Christ. It can't be by anything else. And this gospel stands in stark difference against the world. The world says that your status before man and God is based on your performance, your accomplishments, your beauty, your abilities. The gospel stands against all other religions that say that your way to God is based on your particular practices. Frankly, the gospel is against 75 to 80 percent of what is being preached in other churches today. Because the imposter, though it looks exactly, somewhat exactly like the original, is no gospel at all. And the result of the grace of God is peace. Peace between God and man. What does it mean to have peace with the God of the universe? 
that if for some reason, some, that we were to be transported into the throne room of God. Think about that. The Almighty God that created everything. And all of a sudden you are summoned before Him who knows every single thing about you, everything you've ever done, everything that you ever will do. And when you walk in that door, I'm speaking to Christians, that God beckons you to come forward, not as a judge, but as a father. Come and sit on my lap. Grace and peace to you. I'm so glad that you're here. I've been waiting for this moment. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. Over the next, I don't know, however many months, we're going to be unpacking Galatians. But unless we plant our Christianity in the objective reality of what Jesus Christ has done, we will continue to be subjected and to be deceived by a gospel that is really no gospel at all. Because only the true gospel can bring deliverance. Anything else will bring slavery. Well, I've prattled on and on. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for sending the Apostle Paul and giving us this beautiful letter that teaches us that you have delivered us as your children, as believers in Jesus Christ from this present evil age that we do not need to fear the future. God, help us to rest in the unmerited reality that there is nothing that we could do, that nothing that we can do to be saved, but to depend on the personal work of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.